Hello, I'm Giles Alderson and welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films, how to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up in our very humble opinion. Joining me today is Dan Richardson. Hello, Dan. Hiya. I've got a mouthful of granola bar. Nice. <laughs> how are you? I'm great. Eating again in the podcast and also joining me is Christian James. Hi, Giles. I don't have a mouthful of anything. Not at the moment. Not at the moment, no. That he did about five minutes ago. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we started that low. We started that low. It's so hot in here. We are in Soho Radio Studios. We're using their studios. Yeah, I thought you'd say we were in Speedos. but um, <laughs> You're not allowed. It's illegal. Too. It's actually really bad for your um, like, semen. If you're you guys not wearing Speedos? speedos. No. It's better than the paper <laughs> pants, though, from last time. Did you not get the memo? Yeah. Um, a quick question for you. What was your first cinema date movie, young age? You've got to be young when this happened. Like, your first one when you were young and it was crazy. Dan? I know exactly what mine was. Go. It was... I'm so... I'm not embarrassed. Um, it was the Ewok Adventure, Caravan of Courage. Nice. It's a really good film. Strong. What? Yeah. Um, there must be two... <laughs> There is. I think uh, there's about five. There's two. Yeah, there's, it was, uh, it's a I didn't, TV yeah. movie. It was a TV movie in the States. Uh, not, oh, so okay. Europe is theatrical. This was like an offshoot, a spin-off of the Star Wars Ewoks, isn't it? Mm. Right. With Wicket. Could be. The thing yeah. is, I don't remember much about the film, and I'll tell you why. It was it was my first cinema date experience ever, and I was just thinking the whole time, how do I get my arm around this girl? How can I put my arm around her? And I, I don't think I ever did. I was about... 13, it's actually so. really nerve-wracking, isn't it, to put your arm around someone at that age? Yeah. Even now. Yeah, even, but at that age, yeah. it's like, what happens if I do this and she just hits me or runs yeah, yeah, away exactly. or cries? Yeah, game over. Forever. I mean, that, that's, that would hurt forever, wouldn't it? That's yeah. scarring. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, that was your first experience. Yeah. Sad. Uh, CJ? Mine was uh, vaguely similar, although probably uh, uh, a little bit later time-wise. Um, so uh, I had two, actually, quite f- relatively close together. Okay. I went and saw Inner Space, Joe Dante film, awesome film. Mm-hmm. But I sort of like, a girl in my year who I fancied, I invited her. And I must have been about 11 or 12. So uh, it was kind of like, although I invited her, I didn't really think it through. So suddenly, you know, I, I can't drive or couldn't drive at that age. So next thing I know, my mum's driving us. Brilliant. And then she said, oh, my sister's going to come too. Brilliant. And I was like, oh, I bought it. Now I'm going to go to the cinema with her and her older sister. Oh. I better bring someone too. So I took my mate. So it suddenly just became my mum driving me, this girl I fancied, her sister and my mate to see in a space. So it was, it kind of didn't really become a kind date. killed the right. date. Did you the, sleep with her? Yes. <laughs> at that, and her sister. Boom. And my mate. Not so good. Um, this, <laughs> and your mum. <laughs> I was wondering. <laughs> um, the I must, but the second one. This is the first proper date, kind of. Um, I asked a girl out, and this was uh, I was probably about thirteen-ish now. Back to the future two. Girl in my year at school, totally fancied her, awesome. She actually said yes. I wasn't anticipating that, but I didn't really plan the film I was going to go and see. And we used to catch the bus into Bournemouth Town Centre at that time. Hmm. So I met her in town. We hung out, and it's like, well, let's go to cinema then. And I, usually, it was kind of like I think. You kind of knew when you went to the cinema. It was probably going to be a bit, maybe a Frenchy. If you're lucky, stinky wow. pinky, but we didn't call it that, obviously. Wow. Um, you were proper forward down there. Uh, no, 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 hold, but hold on a second. My friends were, I was not so advanced. Right. I felt the pressure of those two uh, that's events. That's unfair, they put that on you. Yeah, and, and I wasn't the most mature at that age either, physically and mentally. I've never been that mature mentally, anyways, but certainly then, I don't know, I was ready to go there. So I go to see Back to the Future 2 and. The trouble was, I'm such a Back to the Future fan, I just get distracted by how awesome Back to the Future 2 is. I'm kind of like, kind of want to sack this date off. 
and just watch the movie. And I almost can then feel her huffing and puffing and moving around like this dick's just not doing anything. And then I sort of feel like, you know, then I sort of come over like a bit Hugh Grant, like, oh, oh my dear, oh, you know, and I just, you know, I just basically ignored her, watched the film and then... Which is an amazing film. So. Yeah, and then I think after that she's like stormed out like, you know, I was a loser. I and she was right. I love the fact world. that she was huffing and puffing for ages. Yeah, I mean, so what was she doing? It wasn't even, like, it wasn't even the kind of like, yeah, yeah, herself. <laughs> so, and now she's dead. Girls at that age. Wow. <laughs> Took a dark turn. Oh, Dan. <laughs> Girls at that age are so advanced, though, they can just, you know. Much more advanced than we're at that age. No, exactly. <laughs> Should we say that? <laughs> oh, can we cut this out? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> see, see, my one was, I was, oh, yeah. uh, I said it doesn't really count because I was told by this older lad that the way to get girls was to meet them in the cinema. This was stupid. Wow. Yeah. So me the and, whole experience is conducive to your look. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah this is crazy because obviously they're watching a movie. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to say to them for one thing? It's dark. They can't see your face. And this is just weird. So anyway, I said to my mate, James, is right, come on, let's go do this. Let's let's be brave and do it. And, you know, I thought this is going to be good. And there was two girls in the cinema. It's Hudson Hawk. Brilliant film. Absolutely love it. It's rubbish, but I love it. And we thought there's two girls at the front. Let's let's see if we can catch their eye. Well, of course not. They're watching the film. <laughs> Weirdly. Uh, weirdly. Eventually we go, come on, let's dare ourselves to go sit next to him. And we did. We sat next to him. Did you do, so sat either side? No, we uh, two and two. So we uh, yeah. we thought about side and side, but then we strengthened numbers and it's all that. It's a bit sure. threatening. It's a bit aggressive. You didn't go for the pincer yeah. movement. Pincer movement. We should have done, but wow, that's no creepy. Exit. It's Just really yeah. creepy. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, so two and two, sat there for ages. And I think, right, what are we going to do? Arm round, uh, say hello, <laughs> any of that. No, they just got up and moved. <laughs> Oh, oh Literally, it was the most embarrassing. I mean, it's not really a date, is it? Not at all. <laughs> it was your mate James. Yeah. Is he in prison now? I think so. Yeah, because yeah, he should be. Oh, he's a filmmaker. So that's James bit, Cameron. It's a bit like <laughs> a bit like my. First, so that doesn't really kind of doesn't quite count because mm. there was no date. What was your first? Will you go? Shall we go out together? Should we do something? Yeah. And you picked her up and took her on a date. Yeah. That again. Sure, that was Hudson, it was Hudson Hawk again. Yeah. It's, what? So you? It wasn't you long out after that. What, a few days later. Yeah. Just, a few days later, went back again and watched the film again on the date and didn't know what to do. Sat there, didn't say a word. Yeah. Wait, it was one of those where you wait outside because no mobiles in those days, and you just just wait for ages for her to turn up. <laughs> she did eventually, and you you go hello hello. <laughs> she wants some popcorn. I bought a popcorn. That's Got expensive. It. Cost that's me a lot of money. It yeah. was my paper round money. Yeah. Gone on that, and uh, she didn't offer me any. Just sat there through the movie, didn't talk. Bitch. At the end, she just she, her mum picked her up. So you buy a popcorn each, or one popcorn mm. and she ate the just whole one lot? popcorn. <laughs> she ate the whole lot. That's oh, disgusting. You're better off without her, mate. And well, well, I was better off without. I was her. because you know she's dead now. Well, <laughs> yeah. Why do our stories end in she's dead? <laughs> it's now. just the best way to end. It's <laughs> filmmaking for you. Um, so that's I was talking about our first date experience and mm. death. And Dad, <laughs> right, let's talk about film experiences. Let's talk about acting uh, and working with actors. I'm up for that. I was really lucky on the dare. I got wonderful cast who really worked hard for me and really worked hard for the, for the film. It's a psychological horror. It's dark, it's twisted, it's deep. It's got a lot of emotion. It's got a lot of heart and layers of bullying. And I really wanted to, to bring that home that this wasn't just a normal horror film. I wanted to change it, go to a different level, you know? Exactly. But I wanted to ask you, do you think your directing style has changed from when you, I mean, obviously since you did Freak Out, definitely, but between so. Stalled and now with Fanged Up, well, Fanged Up's a bigger budget for one, yeah. so you had a little bit more, I don't know, pleasures. 
a few more nicer yeah. things. Was well, it kind of an in- yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to give more handjobs, Charles. Yes. Right. Um, uh, that's kind of yeah. Uh, it's kind of an interesting. Yeah, I suppose that's the weird thing. The dream was always more budget, more film, and blah. It doesn't really equate. I couldn't note it, and and I would say Fanged Up is a, is a significantly bigger budget, mm-hmm. a, a, a heavy step up. But I can't get into, into the specifics because. Yeah, it's, it's doing not the rounds now. Sure, exactly. Sure. So it's, it's, it, there's deals and things being written as we speak, but uh, a significant step up. So a lot more crew, a lot more people, a lot more uh, more mouths to feed. Yeah, uh, more hangers on. More, you know, no, yeah, yeah. Going, Why are they? Here? Who are they? Who are these what, people? I don't know what they do. Yeah, plenty of that. <laughs> um, but no, there's a. It's just a lot. But ultimately, I mean, this has been said many times before, but it's true. You. In that, in wherever you know, in this big building, wherever we're filming, it's still mainly myself, the DOP, the actors, and it always comes down to a core group of people. And ultimately, I mean, we had a lot of runners come and go, and students on that, and, and work experience. And I, I'd love to have got to chat to them and know them better, but I was just generally scratching my head and moaning about something. But um, <laughs> sounds like a perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't want to. I just thought it looked good. Look good. That'd be yeah. to do this. Um, yeah, and I look for my you over there. What are you doing? I don't know what I'm doing with you. I just look for a viewfinder. And look like I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, there was a lot more money, but it just gets eaten up. You got more people. More, you know, there's a bigger war. Then you got a wardrobe department now. You got a makeup department. There's yeah, it just goes. And I, so I had a few more toys, and I had more lights i had more uh, better cameras like, and this was the first time i shot with two cameras on a feature mm. so that was a quite a, a nice experience did you find it good or not yeah you've got to use uh, you've got to be very careful of two cameras because it can be a false economy i Definitely. think if you are shooting something dramatic i don't know that it works and i don't i think it's not it's a conversation to have the actors you know uh, what you know is yeah, well, I find it's, it, yeah, it's, because you've got to light both areas. You, absolutely, yeah. You've got to make sure those back of those areas look right. And then you're right. So then, if you're doing two close-ups, mm-hmm. then you like this person's close-up. You then got to put them six to eight to ten feet away from each other. Yeah, exactly. So you're not affecting the two shots. It's not affecting the actors. Mm-hmm. You're suddenly you've then got a lot of technical gear invading that space that they need to occupy. Yeah. So I'm I'm not convinced by that, but I certainly think when you've got you know something actually happening or some, something with a lot of movement uh, and you've got a bit of room, yeah, chuck, you know, if you can, get your master but then put a long lens on something and put it, you know, 20 feet back and you might luck into something. I, I mean, did. it's not always, that's a luxury that I, I had for the first time ever. Yeah, on the day we did a couple of long shots like that with the second camera, just get it, especially with all the action stuff. Absolutely, yeah. Just stick it, just do it, do it okay because we're, we're kind of lit in an action way because they're moving around fighting, it's a long take anyway, just stick the other camera in and get it. So I had a, kind of an work. interesting chat recently about, um, because I suppose production versus post-production and it's, about rolling or not shouting cut and carrying on rolling because I don't think a lot of filmmakers now is getting very lazy about what they shoot. So my first feature being on 16mm, we rehearsed everything. Then we'd literally press record, get what we needed, walk away. You know, it was, it was mm. the, the shooting ratio was just ridiculous. It was, it was so lean. It was incredible. And that's something that's kind of stuck with me to a fair degree. But on Fanged Up, what I did was I would often uh, roll a scene, or, you know, you shout action, scene happens. I wouldn't shout cut. I'd say, keep going, back to ones, let's go again. Because there's an energy where everyone has to, yeah. Yeah, everyone runs in, resets, resets, does a bit of makeup, puts that cut back, runs back out, and suddenly you've got this nice momentum straight to the next take. Brilliant. I like it more. 
Again, no, 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 go. Mm. And the third take's even better. And there's a, so yeah, you're burning data and you're going to pay, and I had the producers moaning about the, about the amount of hard drives we were filling up. But I felt we saved a lot of time. I did exactly the same on the dare. Yeah. I found that as soon as you say cut, makeup would come in, <sighs> everything, yeah. the energy goes, the actors would start t- talking to each other, messing around in yeah. that way that they do. It's yeah. good. Whereas if you don't say cut, you go, okay, let's just reset. Do that. The energy's still there. You're yeah. so right. It made such a difference. And then suddenly you got three performances out of one take. And you go, cool, I've got it now. Yeah. I can move on. Move on quicker, yeah. Much quicker. Because makeup and hair, they do like to faff. And rightly so sometimes, but yeah. can get annoying. The actors, especially when they're getting blood all over them, is like, okay, stop now. Have you got better with working with actors than when you first started, you feel? Yes. And only for the first time ever, I think, uh, so the, my biggest takeaway from Fanged Up was I had a bit of an epiphany moment whereby I suddenly realised how much I loved working with actors. I've, I suppose... I've been a bit spoiled. I've, I've worked with Dan Palmer a lot. So in the two previous feature films have been with Dan. The second one, Stalled, was almost solely with Dan. And there's almost, because uh, we've grown up together, there's almost this kind of like, we don't even have to communicate that much. We just, I just sort of say, I, I mean, sometimes with Dan, I'll say, do it like so-and-so, so-and-so. And I'll, I'll, I'll refer to some random person we once knew in college or we uh-huh. met at a college party. Or I'll just say a name to him and it'll be like, gotcha. And that's a very, it's probably made me a little bit lazy. I have to say, I was lucky um, with the cast that I got. My basement dwellers who were in that basement with me. I know it was a set, but it was tough in there. It was hard. There was a lot of blood. There was a lot of sand, a lot of emotion. And they had to contend with, they had to contend with all that and put in a performance in a really short space of time. I think we're in there for uh, maybe a week, just over a week. And... It was incredible, really, when you think about that. And I think about the really good team I had with me. And I loved working with them. I loved talking to them about the character and about their emotion of the scene, what they could bring to it, little nuances that could change. Sometimes people needed a little bit of direction. Other times they didn't need any. Exactly. You know, they were in the moment. They were there. And like I say, I just keep the camera rolling, do another take, and suddenly you'd have this performance that came alive i remember also uh a few a fair few years ago i was doing a uh a corporate shoot type thing and the producer said to me cj we've got this thing can you come along and just you know your director thing you do can you do that but just do it on camera and i'm like i don't really do stuff on camera i'm terrible on camera um but i don't know you'll be fine and i just want you to like hold a microphone and chat to the crowd and i'm like okay and to cut a long story short this thing evolved in the, between me saying yes and me doing the job, it suddenly evolved to me going to Covent Garden for this live launch of a computer game. And there wow. I am, um, uh, you know, 8 p.m. or something, with a, the, I think the game was going on sale at midnight. And I had to, there's behind me in Covent Garden, there's all this sort of this big glass box and all these people doing this performance. And I was like, fuck, this is ridiculous. What the Way hell am I doing? Yeah, 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 I was absolutely bricking it. Mm. Um, but I really remember feeling like very exposed and vulnerable and I really felt that space between me and the camera and I also felt I was when we got down you know with live link stuff it's like okay half an hour till satellite time 20 minutes 15 minutes 10 minutes 8 minutes 7 minutes six, and it, the count and the, the, the closer that time got the more we got the countdown the more nervous I got the more I wanted someone next to me talking it through with me and I felt really really uneasy and I felt and I, 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 that's been my biggest takeaway having that experience and now when I'm with actors I'm so aware if the crew are fiddling and suddenly something's happening, go and stand the actors, chat to them, you know, talk about stuff, just kick stuff around. Mm. And I think I did that a lot on Fanged Up. I just would try and engage with them a lot, just 
you know, some of them don't need it, but you know, others I think just hang out with them. And, and it certainly does no harm for the ones who don't need it, but yeah. it's enormously helpful for the ones who do. Coming from an acting background myself, I was able to understand what they were going through a little bit. You know, I've done horror films, I've been in horror films, and I've struggled with it when I was in there. So I understand what was going through their minds. I understand that debate that they would be in and under and and constantly questioning your performance. Are you good enough? You know, people are going to see this and think, oh my God, how are you acting that way? Why are you overdoing something? And with a horror film, you can easily think you're overdoing it. And actually, sometimes you need to go further. And that's what a good director does. They bring everyone else up to that point. That's a nice touch, that. Every time, and I've seen directors do this, you know, if I've been around... Uh, others i i doubt you guys would ever commit this crime because you would have been on that side of camera yourself and i have committed this crime where i've left actors hanging after a take so i would shout cut turn to the dop or turn to props or turn i turn to somebody and that wasn't right that came in too early and the last thing i get to is the actors and now almost every time i'll go to the actors first the first thing i do Good. because i always think you leave them hanging i know it sounds a bit wanky because you guys are here and having been actors but that's that was all new to Fanged Up, and the, and we had a. I would. They might say something different, but certainly, I'd say we had a really good rapport, and I think that that kind of bled into the their performances. And, and the film is about this sort of camaraderie, this group coming together to get out of this situation. And there was definitely this kind of nice chemistry between the the, the lead, you know everyone involved. And in I think I was only I could just fan those flames really. But yeah, Fanged Up for the first time for me was a a good acting experience or a good actor director relationship see i'm constantly talking to my actors you know and look back over the story rethinking the concept you know and of course there's a tremendous gap between what is intended and what is possible and in the moment they will just you know we can change something we can adapt and we can go well actually what happens if you did that what was if the character was thinking that um even though we didn't have much time we i really enjoyed doing that delving into what they were thinking especially my basement guys, we could really hone in on that, um, which was a joy. Exactly. On Retribution, because you produced and acted in it, mm. how did you find, was that okay or were you? was it two hats most of the time? My, no, you know what, I was really lucky in that regard because actually, and this wasn't through the, the route that you guys took where you'd done those sorts of production jobs yourself and then you were taking on a different role and delegating it and leaving it to somebody else. It was actually mainly because of the fact that I didn't get involved in the production side of things until really late in the in the shoot. So most of my job was done. And then it was more of a the commercial aspects of producing that I was taking care of rather than producing logistically throughout the shoot and finding locations and, you know, call sheets and crew and, and various things. So I didn't have to do that. I didn't really have to, to, to make that distinction. Where I did feel it, I think we talked about before, was on Benchmark, the short film I wrote co-directed and produced and i did produce the whole thing that was easy because it was a short film we shot in one day as you mm. know but what was really difficult about it was on the day there was i hoping to or intending to co-direct and it simply just wasn't possible for me and maybe that and you know that's just indicative of the fact that my head was somewhere else i had a a, a, a focus of working with the actress that i was playing opposite because she was brand new it was her first film I just found it way too much for me to focus on my performance, her performance, and directing. So actually, Paul Dubridge, who very, very, you know, fortunately, he was the DOP, and he's a fantastic director. He just stepped in on the fly and directed it for me a couple of times. He he literally had to say to me, "Do you um 
you want to come and have a look through the viewfinder? I was like, oh yeah, I'm a director. <laughs> there was no point in pretending after a while. So I just kind of like gave it to, gave it to Paul and I was his co-director. Yeah. And, um, but in yeah. many ways, that's a very, very smart directing decision. You decide, you know, do you know what I mean? It's like, I like to think so. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> you've, you've had, you've like, okay, my pride and my ego won't get in the way of this. What does the film need? It needs another pair of eyes. Yeah. So yeah. That's- and I was lucky that I had Paul. I mean, I, I suppose I shouldn't, say it was pure luck because somewhat by design because it was always intended to co-direct and it, and it would have been my first directing gig and so i i very deliberately had someone like paul or you know i'd have had someone like you who if you were on the camera for me you can absolutely step in and direct because that's your mainstay and that's how it that's kind of how it was but um yeah <laughs> i found myself out of my depth within about the first two three takes but i think if so. you hadn't been acting in it you wouldn't have no, you no. relish that, and I think you'd, yeah, you'd love a it. great director. And I'd love to do that. I still want to do that. The thing is, is that I always started whenever I do anything else for in, within the 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 discipline of filmmaking. It's always been so far to facilitate more acting because that's what I've been most passionate about. But as time, and it's funny because I've watched you do this, and I thought to myself initially, I thought to myself, "Wow, you know, he's got this acting talent. I mean, he, he's prepared to just get behind the camera and let someone else do it." And, I, and I, that was a foreign concept to me. And now it's more and more, I think, yeah, God, I really can't, I'm itching to do that. I want to just find someone else and just focus on that, that creative endeavor of directing the film. And I, I love the way you just put it before about you're, you're, you're able to just set yourself this situation where all you do is make sure that every frame is as good as it can possibly be. I'd love to do that. Mm. I'd love to do that. So, so maybe I will. Maybe I'll try and create a little short and and use it as an opportunity to do just that i never know how i'm always amazed by your i mean i know big crews a lot of people have support but like your mel gibson's with braveheart uh how do you i always like how do you get in a scene you know and the amount that i've worked actors now and i've you know i wonder how you talk about a scene with an actor or you know pass some notes around but then you you know i step away back behind the camera everyone does their thing i just focus on this monitor and I'd block everything else out. But I wonder, as a director who's in the film, so, you know, mm. in that kind of, in a brave heart scenario, how do they go, yeah, yeah, great, this is what we're going to do next. Then jump in the scene, then act it out, and then go, right, you know, I know they, they shout cut, they go to the monitor. And, mm. But how do you... Well, I did I it for, for the first thing that I ever directed, yeah. which I wasn't supposed to direct. It was a TV pilot for the mm. BBC called Barry Brown uh, that we'd all written. It was a group of us. And the director we had, which was director of Night Junkies, he pulled out he said i can't do it i'm doing something else so i went well i'll do it i, I fancy it and mm. i'd always directed at soho theater and royal court and stuff like that when i was part of the young writers programs so i was like yeah okay i'll do this but i was already in it so i suddenly found that moment came when i was directing myself and i felt so embarrassed and so ridiculous and so stupid right close <laughs> from me and i couldn't cope i actually couldn't cope but i loved the directing side so much do- that was the moment when I turned and said, I'm never going to be anything that you, big. Did you, again. so would you, so you're in a, a scene. Do you then play the scene out? Mm-hmm. Then you shout, do you shout cut on camera effect? Do you go, yeah, you're talking about it and then go cut? Well, you know, I, yeah, I sort of did and I didn't. I sort of, yeah. because I was so embarrassed, I sort yeah. of let that, the DP sort of go, yeah, I think you've got that. Or I, I wouldn't say cut. You'd sort of go, yeah, we should turn over, shouldn't we? And right, shall I have a look at that and then move away yeah. so that we can... Especially if another actor's doing their yeah, thing. Yeah, because how can you give, how can you give them notes? Sometimes if it's I'm... Impossible. Or yourself. Oh, yourself. Yeah, so, so yeah, do it a lot better. So, yeah. Do you then go behind the monitor, watch what you've done and go, 
yeah, I need to really slow down. I need, need to really, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, did. I, I need to pause on that. Like, you know, I did. Could I you think... tell the crew what you're going to do next? Or do you say, yeah. everyone, I'm going to do this next? Or yeah. I did. I had to tell the crew, okay, close upon me. Or, right, we'll do a two shot on the and. But because it was my first time directing, I'd struggled. I think you'd get who's, used to it. Who's telling you stuff like, you're coming in too slow, that's not going to cut to that. You no know, like, one. Oh, that's, yeah. No one. So you're just seeing that in playback. Yeah, I'd have to watch it in playback and then do it. But, right. but if you're someone like Clint Eastwood or Ben Affleck, you've got a brilliant DP who understands what... And can also go, you, you need to come in quickly, you need to do this. Yeah, And also, you're very experienced by that point. I wasn't that experienced at all in film acting or in directing. Yeah. My have first you done that film. since? Have you? No, I wouldn't do it again. You, oh, you wouldn't? Okay. I wouldn't do it, unless it was a cameo. I just... It, I couldn't. Yeah. Right. And especially if it was a decent scene where you've, you know, it's, someone's got acting, properly acting. How can you do that? I have no idea how yeah. you can you know, literally I mean, do I'm sure the two. We we all watch probably with as much interest as the films themselves, the 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 making of featurettes. Mm. You know, I, yeah. I know I do. I love those things. And and despite the fact that there are so many examples you've just said Ben Affleck, Clint Eastwood, I actually love Ben Stiller's Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Oh, it's a wonderful film. Yeah. Yeah. I would love I'm sure it's out there, I've just never seen it. I, I would love to see someone discussing this in the extra features. Someone who is the director and is the star, like those examples, giving an answer to that question about what was that like? How did you do that? And literally down to the, the specifics, like, are you the guy that's saying action? Are you the guy that's saying cut and you're on camera? Or are you delegating that to somebody else? If, you know, you'd hope. But I've never, I've never actually come across that. No, you'll probably, probably always get the, you know, entertainment tonight answer, yeah. but not the, the, the real, the, yeah, the, yeah, the actual, what's it, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's well, the, you'd be your first AD, I yeah. suppose, would jump in and do the sort of your cuts and your actions. But I think when you're that skilled, I, like with the, what if your first AD shouts time? cut and you're like, fuck off, I was, never, I was nailing it. I was totally, I was doing something new. Yeah, I was going to do yeah. another take. Yeah, 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 I, was, I, was, I mean, I was going to go again from yeah. the top. I, I think you'd have, you'd have to shout hand. cut. You'd have to like, as a director into the scene, you'd have to be, you'd have to then shout cut when you think you're done. You know, I a, guess. Great, a great example of it actually is, um, I mean, I know Stephen Merchant would have done a lot more of the, the behind camera directing, but Ricky Gervais with The Office. Yeah. Yeah. He, he directed that and obviously he was in it primarily and it, i'd love to i'd love to know how that you, and i think you do you see some of the making of clips like the little behind the scenes bits and pieces where i think what you just reminded me of it where you're talking about if your first ad said cut and you're you're the actor and the director and you're like no no no, wait 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 i was right i was right in the moment i think obviously not in that way in a much more sort of a, a jovial way i think you, you do see ricky gervais Go no no keep going keep going hang on a second keep going mm. no just keep rolling and then he'll just play some ad lib stuff with with Big Keith or whatever he was doing yeah. at the time and it was it was golden. I'd love to I'd love to know more about that. Though. It's a great I, also, I often got some nice stuff on Fanged Up whereby I knew the we'd, we'd talk rehe- talk a scene through rehearse it block it out and then we'd run the and then sometimes on the first take I would not shout cut where they were expecting me to I just let it run and they'd just hold a look and you know see and what I got some good stuff right? sometimes you know that just by doing that just by always just tripping them up a little bit you know in a fun way in a friendly way but yeah. certainly and again that's you can get some good stuff from that so I wonder again if you know well I did it with the kids on the dare and 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 Mitchell who's a brilliant actor who's playing my young lead if you like I rolled way before say action I just say right turn the camera over yeah so that he wasn't nervous before so I'd get some I'd get some gold in those moments because yeah. he'd be thinking he'd be thinking about what he's going to do getting into the mode actually it turned out he was a brilliant actor and he nailed pretty much every take anyway but with some of the other ones I just turn over. That's uh, I, I, always get gold. Good and, tip. Mm. I do that every time I work. I'm sorry, I suppose I'm in the 
commercial world and the content world, I'm kind of known for working. Ironically, I've got this sort of split personality. I'm known for working with kids and sports stars in the commercial world, yet in the feature world, I just do horrors, horror comedies. But yeah, with kids, my all rehearse very little. Let's just muck around on camera and let's go to the DOP. Oh, yeah, just yeah. turn over. Quit. Turn and over. Always, it's always the way. It always works. And slowly, never shout action, rarely shout cut. Just keep going and, and don't let them blur the, re- the reality of it or the, you know, blur the superficiality of it, you know. Yeah. So it's all just one big thing for them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love that. I've always loved that as an actor when you sense the fact that the director's doing what you just described where they're not saying cut when you know that you, perhaps you've already done it three times. And cut just hasn't happened. And let that be a lesson to any actors out there listening, because never ever stop until you hear cut, or or someone tell you that you, that they've got what they need, because that is where some of the gold comes from. Mm. You know, and those decisions on the spot decisions are vital. Uh, if it's not working, how do you make it work? How do you change what's happening if it's gone a bit stale? If they've overdone it, uh, they've rehearsed it too much. How do you bring that back? And I think that's what makes a good director. And, and I, as an actor, it's it, I find it to be. Because it's like you just described your kid in in the dare, mm-hmm. where you where you, you capture genuine organic realness because because you can't catch anything else in that moment if they don't know the camera's rolling, and I guess that's the point, isn't it? Really, really good acting is basically just being absolutely natural and ignoring the fact there's a camera rolling. Yeah, and you capture that by not telling them it's rolling. Totally. It's, yeah, because they're in the moment. Real. They're just there. They're just doing mm. it. They're, mm. And that's their magic moment. Yeah. You know, we made Benchmark together, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the, just a short film we shot in a day. But because of the fact that it was just such a tiny budget, pulling favours in creation, and we're happy with the end result. It's just something, it's just a piece of work that we can say, we did everything, literally from acting to catering. And and it gives you that that ability to when you are delegating work and duties you're able to you know what it is you need because if you don't know what it is that they're supposed to be delivering how do you know if they're not absolutely if you if you've held the boom you understand the guy what the guy's going through if you've brought the food in and had to go to whatever supermarket and get it you understand that uh, if you first say deed, you understand how hard a job that is mm. if you haven't done any of those things and you just come on as a director and be like right right right, right just just you don't understand what everyone else is doing I think what helped me as a director is that was an actor. So I understand what actors are going through. I understand that process and really try and connect with them as best as possible to get the best performances. And I'd recommend that to any director is go go do a couple of courses. Literally go do a day, an acting workshop. Realise how hard it is. Understand what the thought process is and why they can't just suddenly turn on tears or why they can't always hit the mark or why they can't, you know say the right thing or they fumble the words because it's hard it's really hard acting mm. um and you learn that you can only learn that over time of you know doing it and the more you can pick up a camera and do it the better even if it's just your iphone even if it's just your dslr literally go and shoot stuff practice 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 and, yeah. and turn it into a little mini short film it's just for you but it's you've done it beautiful um what other sort of issues did you have on set of fanged up because obviously there's a lot of blood and mm. I work with a lot of blood on the dare, and I know that that can slow you down. Um, were there any issues on on your set where these sort of things happened? Or? Yeah, this, I mean, it's funny actually. There's uh, there's the day to day nitty gritty of you know uh, on set politics, the usual stuff. But that any, you know, I think uh, you know Ron Howard set would have that too. Um, uh, describe what you mean by that, just in case people don't. I know suppose you just got the set. whole, you know, and, and I, this is exacerbated on a low budget film, but you know that department didn't supply that 
which has a knock onto that department. You know, like costume didn't get this, therefore makeup got that thing a bit later, and we never saw that thing and blah. So you have those, yeah. you know. And I always think I would say seventy percent of all of our major problems on Fanged Up could have or would likely have been reduced radically had we had more prep time. And that's not the fault of anyone on Fanged Up. It's just low budget or not I wouldn't say Fanged Up's a low budget, but I'd say maybe more lower budget in British filmmaking in general. I mean, but if you're not in the, you know, 20 million and up category, it's low budget. I consider yeah. it lower budget and you're always going to be strained and time is the, the, the first constraint. Um, so there was never enough time on Fanged Up. We're almost behind schedule the minute we you know, started prepping really oh, because okay. it's just so ambitious what you're trying to do. Um, but yeah, it's always, I think with more prep and more community, better communication, you could have solved it because a lot of the problems were like literally on set, uh, you know, what's this? Uh, I mean, there's literally one scene where we had in the middle of it, there's a big kitchen scene in a big industrial kitchen. And in the middle of the room is this giant dripping tap. And it had to be removed from any, A, because it's dripping, so we can't record any sound. It's just going, and B, there's water pissing everywhere. And we're about to put, you know, lights all over the place. And it just, you know, every department just kind of bounced it around who was responsible for this light. And it, the trouble is it just, there was no one responsible person. It was just, it was just passed around a bit. And that will really trip you up. That's something, mm. and then you get there on the day and that's eaten in two hours. Like, why someone's trying to sort this fucking dripping tap out? You know, it's like, <laughs> oh my God, we talked about this two days ago. Yeah. And it's still here. So those kind of silly little things, really. That sounds like a, yeah. that, that sounds like a woodpecker. Yeah. Oh, it's a dripping tap. I thought that's just something I was dropping out of your ass. I thought it was another <laughs> item, just something else you were... <laughs> I've got my paper pants on to catch that. Good, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was the end of the Filmmakers Podcast. Um, you can follow me at Giles Alderson. And you can follow Dan at Dan and 7 tenths. Yeah. yeah. Dan 710THS. You, you keep spelling it every time. CJ, where can we follow you? It. At CJamesDirect on uh, Twitter. And you can follow us at Filmmakers Pod. Do it. Go to our website, thefilmmakerspodcast.com, and you can listen to all the episodes there and download them from SoundCloud. This is very exciting. We're going to be on iTunes really soon as well. I'm really excited. That's exciting. Yeah, I did not know that. We're going to actually, I'll tell you what we should do, is <clears throat> we should start bringing in a GoPro so people can actually watch this magic happen. I don't think anyone wants to watch this. Yeah, they are. It's hard enough for them listening. No, because they could see us signaling and like all the fuck-ups we're doing. Yeah, well, we would expose ourselves to the, the fraud we podcast. really are. <laughs> so anyway, until next time, goodbye. Bye. Bye.